My name is Sivia Cohen. I'm the founder of 14 Minds, a marketing agency that specializes in developing strategic campaigns that help nonprofit organizations connect with their audience. I've had the privilege of meeting some inspirational nonprofit leaders and doers who have devoted an untold number of hours to achieving their mission. Many of these incredible individuals have shared a similar frustration with me along these lines. No one knows what we really do, not even our own volunteers. It's so hard to explain all of our different services. People think our organization is a lot smaller than it is. That's why I created this podcast, to give non-for-profits a platform to share their mission with the world. I hope these conversations inspire you as much as they inspire me. Hi, everyone. Thank you so much for joining us today. I'm really excited to have with us today, Dr. Amy Barron, who is the founder and the executive director of I Was Supposed to Have a Baby. Dr. Barron, thank you so much for being here. I'm really excited about this. Thank you. I am honored to be here. Your your work and your podcast is absolutely incredible, and I'm just thrilled to be here. Thank you so much. That really means a lot. So let's dive in. Can you introduce yourself Tell everybody a little bit about you, your experience, and about your organization, how it got started. Absolutely. I am a pediatrician by training, and I I thought I was going to be a pediatrician for the rest of my life. I love kids. I love medicine. And that seemed to be my career path. And unfortunately, as we all know, when you know you plan, God laughs. And so as I was trying to build my family... I experienced a number of miscarriages, four of which were in the second trimester. And we also had a period of secondary infertility in between my first and my second. And so the bulk of those miscarriages were after my third child. And you know, living in the Orthodox community, we have these this ideal, this this idea, this this model that we want to have families that are larger than normal. We love we love children. We, you know, we aspire to bring as many children into the world as possible. And so, you know, when my doctor said to me, okay, so you have three, like, great. I said, okay, right. We're ready to try for our fourth. And so we did. And I inexplicably lost that pregnancy at 16 wow. weeks. So sorry. Um, thank you. It was, you know, it was absolutely horrific and devastating. One, because obviously it was a pregnancy that we very much wanted, but two, it was because we couldn't find any medical explanation for why that pregnancy ended so suddenly. And so as a person who, you know, seeks answers and I'm a science person and a medical person, like it was very hard for me to accept this notion of like, you know, just keep trying. It's a fluke. It happens, blah, blah, blah. But that's what we did. And we moved on after, you know, an intense amount, we, I, you know, intense amount of grief and moved on. And unfortunately that situation happened three more times, exactly at the same point in the pregnancy, exactly with no medical explanation. The babies were healthy. I was healthy. And yet I couldn't seem to carry a baby to term. And I, at that time, it was between eight and 12 years ago. And if we think back to sort of that time period and even the years prior to that, look, there, there are so many things that we don't talk about at large in terms of on a communal level, 
because of shame, because of privacy, because of stigma. And fertility issues are definitely one of them. So this, this, this concept of like, you know, nobody talks about cancer. Nobody talks about mental illness. Nobody talks about addiction. Nobody talks about abuse. Like, so fertility issues were definitely also one of those things that people just weren't talking about. But I didn't really have that choice because I was visibly pregnant. I was, you know, well into my second trimester. And then- I was visibly not pregnant. And so it was not only having to have those conversations within my own family and close friends, but it was, you know, people I would run into on the street or random strangers of like, who who saw me one week, you know, the checkout person at Target saw me one week, you know, looking pregnant and the next week not looking pregnant, right? And so I, I felt like I was constantly having these conversations in a way that I really wasn't comfortable doing because I was so much really just immersed in my grief and and trying to dig my way out. And look, my story does have a happy ending in that, thank God, not because we were able to figure out any reason as to why we kept losing these babies, but after taking long, a very long break and after basically traveling the country and trying to get answers and having a few hypotheses, but no real medical explanation we decided to try one more time and I was older at that point and dropped two eggs and I have twins who are now seven and a half. Wow. Thank God. And they're healthy and they're delicious. Wow. And we have no idea why that pregnancy was a good one and why all of the others were not. But as I, you know, in the midst of all of this, I left pediatrics because I couldn't keep taking care of other people's other people's babies, even though I had three of my own at home. And when I was finished, finished, like who's ever finished raising kids? But like when I felt like I I felt like I wanted to engage my brain again and not just in diapers and like toddler speak. Like I knew that I wanted to get back to work and I started interviewing for pediatric jobs again. My job had been long given away. And at that time, this was about five years ago, I was asked to speak locally in my my shul and my synagogue about my experience with pregnancy loss to bring awareness to talk about the sensitivity and and what people could do and what people could say. And I felt like at that point, it was something that I could do because my journey was behind me. And also my journey also wasn't a secret like so many others because I had these visible pregnancies and then these non-pregnancies, right? So I did that and then basically got this like need to give back. Like I I felt like, yeah, I could continue in pediatrics and do this work because I love kids and love medicine, but there are very few people out there that are talking about fertility issues, the struggle to build a family, pregnancy loss, adoption, surrogacy. There, There are very few people who are talking about this in a public way. And I felt like I could use my experience, both my personal experience and my knowledge as a doctor that sort of sees the other side and understands it, but is not someone's physician per se, I could use that to help people. And so that's what I did. The short and long of it is that I worked for another organization called Nechama Comfort for three years, which they deal with primarily with pregnancy loss. 
And then really felt this need to broaden the awareness and the sensitivity and the education. And so I thought about how could I bring this awareness and this this piece to the fore in a way that wasn't being done already by so many of the other Jewish fertility organizations, right? We know that A-Time, Boneolam, Pua, these are some of the you know massive Jewish fertility organizations that have been around, A-Time has been around for over 30 years and they do incredible work. And all of these organizations do incredible work. There are also 11 different organizations just in the United States, let alone, you know, throughout the world. So what could I bring to this field that was different and and wasn't duplicating any of the work that others had been doing already? And what I decided to focus on was targeting people and and their emotions and their, their desire to reach out for help, but specifically on social media specifically on Instagram. And when I say that, what I mean is the Instagram's demographics are generally speaking the 20 to 40 year olds. And those are the ones that are usually trying to build their family. Yes, obviously we know people who have children who are younger and there are plenty of people that are wanting to have children well into their forties. But the primary demographic in terms of social media, that demographic is really on Instagram. And I saw the emergence of all of these personal accounts, not Jewish, but all of these personal accounts of people talking about their journey and and people commenting and saying, yeah, that happened to me. Yeah. Oh my gosh. Like that makes me feel so much better. You're going through that too. Wow. You're also really mad at all the pregnant people you see in the shopping lot, in the shop, you know, in the shopping center. Oh, you're also upset because your sister like just got pregnant and you can, and you've been trying for four years and like her husband looked at her funny and she got pregnant. Yeah. Like that happened to me. Right. And so I knew that there was a space that I could do this, but do it within a Jewish framework. And so that's, I was supposed to have a baby. That is fascinating. You, I think this has got to be the first Jewish nonprofit that was built on the premise of we can help people through social media. I, Cause I've never heard that before. You know, I don't like to compare, but I it, it definitely is unique in the sense that it was we we specifically designed this solely for social media. Look, lots of other Jewish Jewish organizations, Jewish you know nonprofits, they utilize social media. They they utilize it for you know their own fundraising, for marketing, to talk about their programming, blah blah blah. But what I've seen, you know, we're just about two years old. What I've seen is that since we started, I, I'm constantly getting barraged by different comments from people from all different sectors saying like, oh, do you know uh, another social media organization that talks about divorce? How about someone for singles? How about someone for alcoholics? How about someone? I'm like, um, I, I, I don't know. Like all of these organizations exist, but they're not utilizing social media in that way. And it's amazing because social media is usually the place where people go and end up feeling bad about their lives because you're seeing everybody's perfect. So it's an amazing thought to think, okay, I'm going to come here and I'm going to get support and feel camaraderie, people who understand me. How did you come up with the name? I absolutely love it. Thank you. You know, I... I always credit, and I, I, she, she's one of my mentors. So Dr. Jessica Zucker 
is um, she's a therapist and she's based out in California. And she worked, had always worked in women's health issues. And then she had her own losses. And she, so this was now, let's call it five to seven years ago, a little bit more, more, even more than seven years ago. And she started writing about her experiences in the New York Times and you know, lots and lots of publications. And her hashtag, her, her handle was, I want to talk about this. And it's going to be called hashtag, I had a miscarriage. And to me, when I saw that article, and then you know she developed her Instagram account and her following and so on and so forth. And she's a really prolific writer and really just an amazing advocate for all, all people in this space. The way that she put that together, the immediate relatability of the I had a, and anyone who had a miscarriage, anyone who's been through things, like immediately you relate to it. And I kept thinking, so I, you know, she was one of the people that I spoke with when I was thinking about starting this organization. I knew it was going to be on social media. I knew it was going to be on Instagram. And I, I said to her, I'm like, you talk about it from a general perspective. She's Jewish, but she's not religious. And you know, she has her own story about how the Jewish community failed her and she really wanted to connect that way. But that's, you know, a totally different topic. But she said, it has to be relatable. And I, I kept like working with sort of that concept. And I knew that I also didn't want it to be just one topic. Like she had handled uh, miscarriage. I didn't want it to just be infertility or, you know, adoption or surrogacy or any, like I wanted it to be a space that anyone who was struggling to have a child, anyone that was struggling to build their family for whatever reason could immediately sort of see the title and feel the sense of resonance. And so I kept just playing and playing and playing with words and that's how it came up. That's amazing. And I also love it because it takes it away from the medical term to the actual loss that the person is living with. It's not about the miscarriage. It's about the fact that there is not a baby now. And that's what the person was hoping for. And that's, that's amazing. So what is, what is the business model? How do you run an organization that is based on Instagram? Very hard. (laughs) (laughs) I can imagine. (laughs) Um, Look, okay. So let's take a step back. Like you know, in order to run an organization, right, you need all the different pieces. You need your, you know, employer identification number and you need to register for a 501c3 and you need to have a board and you need to have bylaws. You need to do all the same things that any regular, it's like ridiculous that I'm saying that, but like regular organization does. And so we did all of that and we do all of that and we have all of that. But the practical day-to-day is we we are very, very, very small. And small, I mean, it's basically me, myself, and I. And I have an admin that I hired about nine months ago. And we have a really wonderful board. And we're looking to expand in terms of adding people to our team. But the real crux of running, quote, an organization on social media or running anything where you want to build community and want to build this sense of, I I keep saying resonance, but I I, I mean it, resonance, validation, sensitivity, warmth, communication, and responsiveness. You can't have, you know, a, you know, teeny bopper, high school, college age person being your social media manager and like, you know, making you pretty little graphics and like, 
responding to people who are like spilling out their life stories. Like it just doesn't work that way. And so everything that comes in, every single message that comes in and I can get 50, 100, more than 100 a day, depending on what's going on, is answered personally by me. Wow. Every single comment, it, all of the different posts, the stories, the different pieces. Yes. Do I have an admin who helps, you know, with calendar to sometimes create graphics, to work on different programming, to help like the back end pieces? Absolutely. And I need that because I don't want to be doing that stuff. I want to actually be communicating with people and helping people. And so we do have intentions on building, bringing more people on to help build out different other pieces of this and other services. But at the end of the day, social media is about connection and you have to have someone on the other end of the screen who gets it. And so I can give off pieces of it, but I can't give off the totality of it. And and that's my choice, but that's what makes for the positive and the the warm and the supportive experience for people. And that's that's what I'm hoping for. And that's what I want. That sounds like a very full-time job. <laughs> I, look, you know what? It is. And frankly speaking, it's like there are times that it's definitely more overwhelming and times that it's less overwhelming. I tend to be very good about knowing what kinds of topics, like when we're hitting a specifically, you know, hot topic, I know it's going to cause a massive influx. I'm going to get tons of responses. I'm going to need, like, I, I generally can predict when these things are sort of going to explode and I can work my schedule around it. But there are times that I don't and I have to really, you know, I, I, I have to do my best to try to give people what they need, but also make sure I carve out time for myself. For sure. For sure. Wow. So in the two years since you've started this, do you have like a particular story that sticks out as something that was very meaningful to you? You know, I, I like I've, I've heard you ask this question to everyone and like everybody says, oh, there are a gazillion and there are a gazillion. But the most recent one that really struck me and, and I'll, you'll see why in a second, is what we do on I Was Supposed to Have a Baby is we, you know, because the topics that we're covering are so broad, you can't just like talk about one aspect of fertility and then like a day later, move on and talk about another one and another one, another one. Like you have to really do these topics justice and delve into them from many different aspects in order to be able to cover them in a way that feels feels real and, and gives people tangible take-homes in terms of how to incorporate pieces in their lives, how to, you know, react to other people who are going through it, et cetera. And so the way we, we tackle that is we do topics usually on a weekly basis. We take one topic and stretch it out over the course of a week, often talking, bringing up the topic with a personal story, and then bringing in sometimes experts or other handles that are talking about this and giving people information. And then often it creates this like really beautiful dialogue back and forth with the community. And so we're, oh yeah, like that happened to me. Oh yeah, that happened to me. Oh my gosh, that's so terrible. Like, and so recently we brought up a topic and it happened to be about this woman who has been told that she may never be able to have children because she has a chronic medical disorder, which her doctors are still uncertain whether she's ever going to be able to have children. And this elicited 
like a flood of responses from people from the community, just like, oh my goodness, this woman, I, I feel so terrible for her. I know other people that are struggling with this. Like it just elicited so many different responses in this like really beautiful way. And then sometimes we get, you know, because many of the many of the people in the community are religious, there is this concept in Judaism that when someone is going through something difficult, that you want to pray for them. And the way to pray for them is, yeah, like you can just like, you know, can you please like remember my friend Sarah because she's going through something like you can do it in that general basis. But sometimes also like what people try to do is they try to actually use their actual Hebrew name and their mother's name also with it, because we know that women evoke this sort of sympathy and women are the ones that are the caretakers of the family. And there's this concept that when you pray for someone and use their actual name and you also use their mother's name, it evokes more sympathy with God because God will remember that mothers are a caretaker. Like it's, it's, it's actually like very beautiful concept. And so one of the people in my community in response to this woman who maybe can't have children, she said to me, can you please ask her for her Hebrew name? I really want to pray for her. And I went back to the woman and I said, would you be comfortable giving me your name so I can give it out to the community or at least this woman? And she said, honestly, I'm I'm not comfortable. Like I, it's just, I'm very private. And I, even though she's not going to know who I am, I, I just, I don't feel comfortable giving out my name. And so this woman said, it's okay. She said, I'm going to still pray for her. And I'm going to pray for her in, in this way. I'm going to call her, I was supposed to have a baby Bas, meaning daughter of and whomever it is. And I'm just going to use the name of the community as a way to pray for her. Because when I pray for her, I'm also praying for every single other person in this community that's struggling. And I like, I, I'm like, as I'm telling the story now, I'm getting chills. And when I read this message, I was just getting chills. It, it really, it exemplified to me exactly what I was hoping to create when I started, I was supposed to have a baby. I wanted people to feel like they had a place to go to when they were struggling, but I also wanted to be able to reach everyone else and show people what people are dealing with behind closed doors that they don't like to talk about and to evoke the sense of sensitivity and compassion for others. And with that one message, it was like, okay, it's working people are getting it. They're getting it. And I'm just, I'm just so grateful. That's beautiful. That's really beautiful. And it shows that it's not just an Instagram account. It really is a community. It's a family and people who are coming, they really, they need that. That's really special. I love that story. Thank you. So another question I do ask everyone, and I have my own reasons for asking this question. What would you say is your biggest day-to-day challenge when you run your organization? You already hit on it. <laughs> you already said, you're like, oh, well, that must take up a lot of time. Yes. <laughs> I had a feeling that was going to be the answer. <laughs> you already hit on it. It's, it's a lot of work. It's a lot of work. I do try to create those boundaries. I do take time off. I do, you know, I obviously, you know, I'm, I'm religious myself. My phone is shut off, you know, from Friday night to Saturday night. And sometimes I don't turn it on until Saturday more until Sunday morning, but it's hard. It's really hard. And I try to balance as much as I can, but that is definitely my biggest struggle. 
And what about your biggest big picture challenge? I guess more for more of a long-term view. I mean, I can answer the same. <laughs> My long-term view is as, as the organization grows and as we reach more people, more people are going to need this and more people are going to want my time and so on and so forth. Like I'm, you know, I'm now I'm getting like in the last like number of weeks, I'm getting barraged by like more people needing therapy and therapists wanting, wanting to connect because they want more clients. And like, so like having all of these like back meetings, like, look, there is that, but I think, you know, if I were to give a different answer, different answer is different and same as so many of the, any nonprofit, we all want to change the world, right? We all want people to feel less alone. We all want our problem to be solved. And that's my biggest challenge. My, I always say that my biggest challenge is if people would only know that support existed, forget about our organization, just lots of other organizations, if they would only know that they just had to do a little bit of digging to realize that they could get support, then people would feel less alone. And so that I see as my biggest challenge, which I feel like we are chipping away at, right? Like we are starting to talk about fertility issues in the community at large. So it's getting better, but we're not there yet. So that actually leads right into my next question is what does the world look like if you can stand up one day and say, you know what, this is it. I have achieved the, my organization's mission. Like, this is what I set out to do. What does the world look like at that point? Look, my first and only desire always is to have this organization not need to exist. Like, I, I don't want anyone to have to struggle to have a child. I don't want anyone to lose a pregnancy. I don't, like, that's my biggest dream, wish, desire is for this work not to need to be done. But otherwise, I think, if we can't take away people's struggles, if we can't control that piece, which obviously none of us can, then it's immediately, God forbid, when someone loses a parent, they know there are certain, like they reach out to the rabbi, they reach out to the Chavar Kadisha, the people who take care of take care of the body. They reach out to, there are like, there's other organizations, they're like Masaskim that like take care of and setting up the Shiva home. Like there are places that people know where to go when this happens, when God forbid somebody dies. So I want the world to look like a place where people know there's no stigma about reaching out to any of these organizations when, when somebody dies in your family. So I want not only people to know where to reach out, but I also want it not to feel like a stigma for them to reach out. That is my ultimate goal. Amazing. Amazing. So if somebody wants to contact you or if they're not familiar with the account, tell the listeners where they should go. Yeah. So our website, I was supposed to, supposed, ED, supposed to have a baby.org. We have a website and that links out to all of our different features, but our main platform is Instagram. That's where we do 99.9% of our work. That's, as you know, I've explained before, that's the place that all of the support is there. We also run monthly support groups, one for infertility, one for loss, one for those who are exploring or in the middle of egg donation, sperm donation, or embryo donation. 
And we also just started another monthly support group for individuals or families who are going through IVF for genetic reasons. So those are all monthly groups. The, the third and fourth of those groups are on hiatus for the summer, but we will be starting them back up again in September. And all of those support groups are all free. Anyone and everyone can join them and you can find links to them on our website. And look, if people want to, sometimes people want to find me personally because they, you know, they don't need a therapist, they don't need a doctor, but they just need someone who gets it. And so what I always say is that if people want my time, you can also book time with me. Um, and that's also done on the website and we can, you know, I'm happy to help in whatever way I can. But the, look, this organization is exists for all of you. It's for those of you who need the support and for everyone else who wants to learn how to support people in your life that you love. So that's the way you find us. Amazing. Thank you. So I'm going to leave off with the one question I leave off all my podcasts with. All of them, all, all six so far. <laughs> but this is the fun question. And I think, you know, I love hearing the different answers that I get. So the question is, if you were handed a very large sum of money or even a blank check, and you can do whatever you want with that money for your organization, what would you do with it? I knew you were going to ask this question and I, and I, you know what, it's very tough for me because we don't need a lot of money to, to run. We are not an organization that needs millions of dollars to run. Our budget currently is in the $60,000 range wow. and we are going to hire more people. And so God willing, we're hoping to double that budget by next year. We're having a fundraising campaign coming up. Ah. Sneak, sneak, sneak. Can't so <laughs> but okay. So if you're asking me to dream big, look, I need to hire more people like me and I need to hire social workers who can sort of build out and offer more support. You know, we have lots of programming coming up, but it, that if someone were to hand me money, that's what I would use it for because what we're doing now works and thank God it's working well. And I want to keep this small, intimate ability for people to get personal responses and the sensitive and, and appropriate and timely, like that will stay. But we need to build on and add other pieces for other people, for, for other different programs. And that's where I would put the money. Wow. I, I think that it sounds amazing. I want to add something personal, which I don't usually do. I have not yet to date added my own personal experiences, but something you just said a few minutes ago is really resonating with me in my head, where you said your mission is a world where there's no stigma, just like people reach out to the other organizations and they'll do it publicly. So in my personal experience, I actually did have a loss at 14 weeks um, years ago. Oh. And I remember so clearly that that day I had a meeting. And I had to cancel the meeting and I just said, something came up, I won't be able to make it. And the person responded, enjoy your vacation. Uh, and, you know, thank God this was years ago. I have healthy children and I moved on, but something about that was still, and, and you know what? I just got an email from my accountant recently. My father passed away. Um, you know, I'll be sitting shiva, I won't be available. And everyone was able to know. And I think a world where someone who's going through that has no stigma to let people know, here's why I'm not available. Here's how you can support me. That sounds like a very special world. So I think what you're doing is just absolutely amazing. And thank you so much for doing this and coming on here with me. I think that people will really get a lot out of it. So thank you. You know, we're on a podcast. And so people can't see my reactions to when <laughs> you just spoke that. And so I was sitting here with a hand covering my mouth with this like look of shock and horror. And, but I think that 
First of all, obviously, I'm I'm so sorry. Thank you. I look. It, it's it's changing, right? Like it, it's a little bit better. We're not there yet, but it's it's a little bit better. And like the more we talk about it, the better it will be for the next person who goes through this. So that's that's the hope, right? Absolutely. And I think you're doing a lot to get us there. So thank you. Thank you. Thank you. So thank you, Amy. Thanks for listening to this episode of the Change the World podcast. If you have any feedback or comments, or if you are a nonprofit leader who is interested in learning more about how 14 Minds can help you, I'd love to hear from you. You can reach me by email at sivia at 14minds.com. For more nonprofit content, follow me on LinkedIn or visit 14minds.com to subscribe to our mailing list.